If you have your Bible with you today, we are going to look at a verse in the book of Psalms, chapter 118, 118, um, in just a minute. If this is one of your first times here, we are in at the end of our summer series called Summer Mixtape. And I was telling Gene today, back in the back, I was like, I'm so excited for a new picture to be up on the screen. <laughs> I just can't handle it. Like, my brain can't handle it anymore. Uh, we've been, it's, we call it Summer Mixtape because we are just having different pastors at our church share each week. It's been super fun. Um, next week, our lead pastor, Pastor Kyle, is coming back. I will tell him you cheered louder than that, okay? Uh, <laughs> Whatever, we've, we've kind of joked and said, whatever we say, Kyle can just kind of like fix, you know, when he comes back. We can say whatever we want. He'll just fix it all when he comes back. No, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm excited today. Today we're going to talk about the word integrity. I was going to call this message, Hit the Gritty, but I'm so not that cool at all. So I am not doing that. Uh, we're going to talk about integrity because integrity is something vitally important to all of our lives. Uh, they're still laughing at me over there. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's something important to all of our lives and uh, functioning society, uh, integrity. We're going to look at it a little bit differently, but first we are going to read God's word. Would you stand with me all over this place as we read from Psalms 118? Uh, we're going to read uh, verse 21 and 22 here. It says, I will give, give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let's pray and ask God to just fill our hearts today. God, we thank you that we can freely come into a place and worship you and experience you, be used by you, and hear your voice. Holy Spirit, we, we just pause and invite you into our hearts and minds. You are already here. Your presence is here. Let us become more aware of it. God, let your word come alive to us today. Let us not go through emotions of just che checking something off of our weekly list. But God, let us experience you. Let us learn from your word today. God, would you speak to me and change my heart? Challenge me today. God, we need more of you. In your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. Um, growing up, I had some amazing grandparents, okay? My grandparents were awesome. My, my grandpa was like the most organized and routine-oriented person I've ever met in my life. Okay, like he, he had the same meals on the same days at the same time. Okay, like a grapefruit at like 2 p.m. every single day. For as long as I knew him, like every day, got up at the same time every day, had his socks in like specific order in his drawer. Like he was the most routine oriented person I've ever known. Uh, he also made sure he spent his time with God every morning. It was something that I got to look at. My grandma was also very routine oriented, but she was also very forgetful, okay? <laughs> Um, and she was notorious for forgetting things in hilarious ways. Like she'd get, get my mom the same exact shirt for Christmas that she got her for her birthday like three months later. And just like, I'm wearing this. <laughs> like, right? She'd get the same birthday card year after year for us. Um, but one thing that grandma loved to do is bake with us. She loved to bake cookies with us. We did Christmas cookies and all of that every year. Um, I remember one day we were over at grandma's house 
and me and my sister and grandma's going to bake us some chocolate chip cookies. We're like, oh, awesome. This is great. I'm so excited. Uh, she goes and she makes all this stuff and puts it in the oven. We're excited, you know, playing the game. And then 20 minutes later, she goes to pull the cookies out of the oven. And she pulls the cookies out of the oven. Cotton picking, what? In the, for Pete's sake. That was her thing. Cotton picking everything was Pete's sake. I don't know who Pete was or why he was picking cotton, but it was his fault for sure. Um, she pulls them out, and they are like flatter than a squirrel on a highway, okay? Just like, <laughs> like, Grandma, what happened? I got her, so I think she forgot like the baking powder or something. I have no idea uh, what she forgot. <laughs> but we were laughing. She was, at first she was mad, but then she was like laughing at it. But she was missing an integral part of what makes a cookie a cookie, right? Um, and integrity is so much more than just doing the right thing. It is being filled with the right things, right? Having every single piece in the right spot. Uh, but so often we look to the wrong things to actually fill us, to give us purpose, or to solve our problems. The word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective of integer. Any math nerds out there today, right? Uh, integer literally means whole or complete or undivided. Uh, so integrity is so much more than just moral authenticity, which is what we kind of talk about, right? We usually talk about it in, in a way of make sure you're being honest and truthful and, and you're, you're being the same person at home as you are at work, right? It's integrity in that. But it's more than that, more than that. I think an accurate picture of integrity is someone who is more made whole in Christ. And out of that flows the authenticity and flows the good works, if you will. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? That Bible calls that the fruit of the Spirit. When our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what flows out of it. That creates that authenticity. So integrity is not necessarily just the things that you do. It's what your life is filled with that gives it integrity. It truly means it is not missing a single piece, right? When a building has integrity, it is sound. It is complete, right? But a lack of integrity doesn't always mean that something's missing. It could also mean that something is added that shouldn't be there. Okay, so adding something in that maybe doesn't line up with God's word into your life is a lack of integrity. I picture it like this. You go to like the grocery store or a whole food store and you go to pick out a smoothie and it says on the front, 99.5% whole fruit or whatever. Like, oh, sweet, that's awesome. Like, I wonder what the other 0.5% is. Rabbit poop. <laughs> Not buying that. Right? right? It would be crazy. No one's going to buy a, a, a fruit smoothie that is 99.5% full of fruit smoothies, but the other like 0.5% minuscule, you probably couldn't even taste it actually, but it's rabbit poop. I'm not buying that, right? So even when something is added that shouldn't be there, it destroys its integrity. It completely tears it down and makes it something that it shouldn't be. Something small that's not supposed to be there can ruin the whole thing. And adding the world into a place that is supposed to be filled with God will never bring us wholeness. But so often we try to do that. Uh, and I'm not talking about, about Sundays, but everyday life, right? Your heart, your brain, your schedule, they're, they're supposed to be filled with things of God. That's why the Bible says, first, seek first his kingdom and then his righteousness and goodness and all the things else will be added to you. 
It's not to seek first our kingdom or our fame or our success, but to seek him first. And the only way to find wholeness, purpose, and fulfillment is to place God as Lord of your life, not just Savior from our sin. So often we get that second part right. We, get, we, we understand God is he's the Savior of our sin, but we don't make that next step of actually making him Lord of our life. The Israelites really struggled with this throughout the Old Testament, and we can learn a lot from them. So I want to actually look in the Bible at a story in 1 Samuel chapters 8 and 12 today. Um, If you don't know Israel's history up until this point, basically they had been, been slaves in Egypt for a long time. God rescued them from Egypt with this guy named Moses, right? He gives them the Ten Commandments and a bunch of rules. He sets them apart, He says, I want you to be different. I want you to be an example to the world of what it looks like to follow me. Um, They go through a series of leaders called judges that kind of rescue the Israelites after they worship other gods and they fall into the hands of other people around them. And and these judges rise up and they rescue them and lead them back to God. It happens over and over and over again through the book of Judges. Um, And then in 1 Samuel, Samuel is the last kind of real judge or leader until uh, what happens in this story next, okay? So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. We'll put it right here. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Samuel was this last real judge, this amazing prophet of God, and his sons, who he appointed as Israel's leaders or judges, he appoints them as judges, but they never rise up to that because they fall into wickedness and sin. Even though he was one of the most celebrated leaders in Israel's history and the best judge, in, in my opinion, um, even his kids fall away. Uh, and this sets up what happens next, okay? Verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Right? It starts with Samuel, his sons, not setting up that example. And so they say, because they're not, why don't you do this for us? Can't we just be like everybody else? We want to be like all the other nations. Why can't we be like them? All right, verse six. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Okay, um, So they reject God as their king. We would say, oh man, how could they do that? I would never do that, right? We do that every single day. Okay, Uh, it's easy for us to look back at them and say, what are they, why are they doing this? Can't they just see God did this for them? He led them out. He's risen up all these judges, right? Verse nine through 18, uh, Samuel, God gives them like this warning of what's gonna happen if they 
put a king into place. Okay, all these bad things are going to happen. This king is going to rule over them, take their stuff and all that. Uh, and we're going to jump back in at verse 19 here. All right. But, so after they hear what, what Samuel said, uh, that God had told them what was going to happen, he said, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Uh, so then what happens? Saul is uh, chosen as the next king of Israel. God's plan wasn't that Israel would never have a king. It wasn't. He, he actually wanted them to have leaders. He'd risen up judges, leaders, all, all over this course of time. Uh, but their motives in that, at this time were all wrong. And their timing was all wrong. So Saul was appointed king. And then Samuel gives his farewell speech, okay? He's, well, he's like, well, I guess I'm not the leader anymore. So here's everything that I'm going to say to you. So he gives this whole big farewell speech in chapter 12. Okay, so chapter 12, verse 12 through 15, he says this. He says, but when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here's the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Okay, here's the thing that the Israelites and us today seem to never fully understand is that God designed us to live with him as our very foundation and our source of strength, right? With him as our king. We don't have like a king necessarily in America, right? We don't think of this in this way. We don't talk this way. But if we look at our lives, there are definitely things that we allow to rule over us, allow to control our time, our energy, our thoughts. Um, God, God gave the Israelites these 10 commandments. The Israelite people knew these words. They knew them by heart, but their hearts did not know God. The first commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 says that God gives them, the very first one says, don't have any other God except for me, okay? The very first one. And it's like through all of this, they're trying to create some little loophole and saying, you know what? Okay, well, we're not really having another God except for you, but what if we just have like a, a king? It's not, we're not using the word God, but we will definitely look to him for our strength, and we will look for him to defeat our enemies, and we will look to him to give us what we need. So is he, but we're not going to call him a God, so we're not breaking the rule, right? It's like they're creating this loophole that they think they can get away with, all right? Uh, they're doing everything they can to somehow not rely on God. Israel's asking for a king wasn't their sin, but why they were asking was. In Deuteronomy 17, God actually outlines what having a king for for Israel would look like and should look like. But they let a few things stand in their way of what God had for them. And we often let these same things stand in our way too. And we see them throughout their responses in chapters 8 and 12. Okay, so first, everyone say first. First, they let their desire to look like everyone else destroy their integrity. Okay, 
They said, we want a king so that we will be like all the other nations. They weren't supposed to be like all the other nations. That was never their purpose. God never set them apart and said, okay, I just want you to just look at what they do and then try to do the same thing. That way nobody thinks you're weird. Okay, no, he actually said, hey, you're supposed to be a holy nation. You're supposed to be set apart to show the world what a relationship with God could look like and what life could look like when God was on your side. But like the Israelites, we have this desire to be liked by other people and to want to be seen and accepted by everybody else. God didn't design us to be ordinary, right, but extraordinary. Not natural, but to be connected to the supernatural. Not normal, but Abby normal? <laughs> no. Okay, but uh, one, of the, one of their huge motivating factors was that they wanted to be seen as a strong nation. They wanted to be seen as, as, as a powerful nation. And every other powerful nation had a king. Even though they had God on their side, the other nations and people around them couldn't see that. It was all about the appearance of strength, right? And we live the same way, right? Picks or it didn't happen. If no one saw you go on that epic vacation or have that bonfire or have your kids go back to school, did they really go back to school if you didn't take a picture on the front step? I know my kids didn't, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying taking pictures is bad, but we've all seen people that are like at, at the ice cream shop and, and their, their whole families are just like arguing and fighting and then mom's like, okay, smile, everybody, cheese, and they stop, cheese, with their ice cream, chick, and then they go back to fighting and arguing. They're like, wait a second. What's, what's happening here, right? When we want others to think about us or see in our lives comes more important than what God sees in our life or what he says is important for our life, then we're missing it. And when we miss it, then we often feel like we're missing something and we lack something. We feel that emptiness. All right, number two, the Israelites let their fear of their problems blind them to reality. This nation that literally walks by places where God brought down an entire city wall for them. They walked through a river on dry ground. Or in just a chapter earlier, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, we, we see God delivers the Israelites from their enemies by sending their enemies into panic with thunder from heaven. This nation literally walks by these places every day. And they've seen these things. And they see these places daily, and yet they're still blinded by fear. They're blinded by fear. They couldn't see how big their God was because their fear was closer to them than their God. They held their fear close to their chest. It's like, the, like a perspective-type illusion, okay? I used to love taking hilarious pictures like this, uh, like this one right here, right? Where I have Sam posing and then our other friend, and it looks like she's like holding him in her hand. You're like, oh, our little tiny friend there, he's only three inches tall, right? <laughs> okay, it's where you move one thing far away and one thing close to the camera, and it looks hilarious, right? But what if we lived it as that was, if it was reality, if I treated that as reality? The further we are from God, the bigger our problems seem. It would be ridiculous for me to treat my friend who was standing in the background as if he was actually three inches tall. 
Oh, here, let me help you. He's like, why are you? I can reach the sink. I'm not, right? It would be ridiculous for me to actually live that way. But so often we live our lives with our problems so close to us and our God so distant that that is the way we live. We live as though our problems are too big for God. If we could just live close to God, we would see how big he really is. The Israelites' desire for a king stemmed out of their lack of relationship with God. They said, give us a king that will lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. (laughs) What are you looking for to fight your battles instead of turning to God? Many of us try to drown our worries of life in addiction, a busy schedule of doing whatever the next fun thing is, filling up our calendar with fun, or maybe it's anger at the world, success, money, a relationship. None of it lasts because having integrity is letting God fill every part of who you are. It's like a a cup of water, right, that you fill from your faucet. Over time, that cup of water will evaporate, okay? An eight-ounce cup of water uh, at room temperature in about, will evaporate in about 10 to 20 days, depending on a few different variables of humidity and size of your glass, okay? But in about 10 to 20 days, that full glass of water will disappear, will evaporate. The constant variable is that it will eva- evaporate, right? Even with the highest humidity, it would take a long time, but it will evaporate. This water doesn't last Okay, we keep filling up our lives with things that won't last, with things that were never supposed to be a part of God's plan in our lives. In the Bible, Jesus says, come to me, all who are thirsty, and I will give you the water that will never end, the water of life. John 7, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow within him. And then it says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit. We're trying to fill a spot with worldly water that was never supposed to be filled with anything except for God. The Israelites turned to a king, but what are you turning to? I'm going to ask our music team to come and get ready today. The verse we read at the very beginning in Psalms 118 talks about the cornerstone. During Bible times, the uh, cornerstone was literally a carved stone that would serve as the most important piece of that building. The angle and where you placed that stone depended, would, would determine the entire rest of the building, okay? The angle of it would determine which way it faced, how the rest of it would line up, what the building would look like. And if something that you continued to build after you laid that corner, if something didn't line up with that cornerstone, then the building would lack integrity, right? It would shift and it would eventually fall apart. It would not withstand the storms that would happen to it. Having the right stone in the right spot mattered. What we build everything else upon matters. The same verse, Psalms 118, 21, 22, is quoted by Peter in the book of Acts. And he says that Jesus is that stone that the builders rejected. But that that stone, that cornerstone, should be the very center of our lives. 
I'm gonna read that verse over us again. It says, I will give you thanks for you answered me and you have become my salvation. Everyone say salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Putting our trust in God doesn't make the storms of life go away, but it helps us withstand those storms. In some ways, putting our trust in God actually creates more storms in your life. But living a life of integrity where nothing is missing, guys, there's nothing like it truly is what matters most. I don't think we are even supposed to experience full integrity of nothing missing. I don't think we will experience that this side of heaven. The closest we can get is being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and letting God move in our lives in that way. I think we'll finally get to heaven and we're like, wow, this is what it feels like to have nothing missing for all of my hope and dreams and everything just be set on God. It's a daily battle to live with integrity of saying nothing in my life is based on anything else except for God. Would you stand with me today? In the eyes of the world, the Israelites were a successful nation. They had done great things, had taken lots of territory, had amazing battle stories, but they still wanted more. A life of integrity looks more, looks more than just like living life with a good work ethic or being kind to strangers. It's filled with contentment and hope and understanding that I'm not living this life for myself. God created me to bring Him glory and to show others what his love is like. Integrity is not missing a piece. That's also not adding pieces in that shouldn't be there, right? So how can we respond today? Everything I've said is worth nothing unless you do something for yourself, right? We don't want church to just be a place where people come and sit in the seats, listen to someone talk, laugh a little, and read a Bible verse and go home, right? That's literally just wasting time. Please don't waste your time today. God desires for you to have more, to live a life of integrity, of, of like your life is complete and based on something solid, not this water that's evaporating over time. And then you, one day you just wake up and you're like, man, this job used to fulfill me. Man, this marriage used to fulfill me. Man, this boat used to fulfill me. But now I feel like everything's just worthless because evaporation is constant. That's why it, the Bible tells us to come to him every day, ask for more of his Holy Spirit, to be filled more with him, to have him be our firm foundation, to have him be what our lives are build, built upon, for him to be magnified in our life, as we sang earlier. So how can we respond today? One, maybe you came in and you just know you're empty. Like, man, I'm, I already feel like my life is just lacking something. And I, I need more of God. Maybe it's not that you haven't known God. Maybe you've had a relationship with him, but you've been like the Israelites and you've just been lacking. You haven't 
put all of your pieces into him. There's some pieces of commitment missing in your life and you need to remember that God is bigger than any problem you face. Let him fill your life. Or two, maybe you allowed God to be part of your life, but you know you've been relying on your own strength. Or you're looking to the next big thing to fill that space, the next promotion, the next house, the next relationship, the next life high. You've tried to add the world into a place that was only meant to be God's. And you need to surrender that. Sometimes you have to actually take pieces out of your life, take relationships out of your life for a time and truly let God give you direction and be your cornerstone, right? To set you in the right space and know you're supposed to face this way so that you can face the storms that are gonna come. Uh, If you're here today and you'd say, you know what? We're not gonna do it. We're gonna do a salvation talk about it in just a minute, but if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, my, my life's not built on Christ. He's a part of my life, but he's not my foundation. He's not magnified in my life. If anything, he's minimized. And you want more? You're saying, I have a relationship with God. Maybe I'm even like the Israelites where I, I know who God is. I have this kind of relationship with him. I come to church. I do all that. But I want more that's you, would you raise your hand with me today? That's me. I want more. Would you pray with me all over this place? Say, God, I make you my king, the Lord of my life. I build my foundation on you. God, help me glorify you and everything I say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, at the very end of this story, uh, verse 20 through 22, uh, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You've done all that is evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. And verse 22 says, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Even when we make mistakes and don't build our life on the right things and fill our lives with stuff that shouldn't be there, God still calls you his own. The Bible tells us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't care if you loved him back or not. That's how big his love is for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've I've never made him Lord of my life. I've never asked for this salvation that that verse speaks of where God is my savior of my sin. I've been trying to do it all on my own by good works or going to church or I'm just messed up and I need God. If that's you today, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and say, you know what, I I wanna make God Lord of my life for the very first time, would you raise your hand with me? Awesome. 
Would you all pray with me again? Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son to die for my sin. I will never be worthy of your love, but I thank you for your forgiveness. I accept you as my savior. Lord, help me to live for you and glorify you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So let's go from this place today as people of integrity, where our lives are not missing something. People will see that. They'll see that you walk differently, that you talk differently, because we are completed in Him. So may you go from this place today seeking more of God every day and looking to Him as Lord of your life.